0: welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack and this week's episode is a long one featuring an edited version of the event we held on Tuesday night at the book club in Shoreditch. We hosted a panel discussion to investigate beauty and desire in independent publishing, with three magazines that each take a distinct perspective on the subject. I'm not going to go into loads of detail now because you're about to hear my introduction to the event itself, but I'd like to take a minute to say thanks very much to Park Communications for sponsoring the events. They were there with us on the night, and in fact they print two of the magazines on the panel, so they print beauty papers and Ladybeard. So if you're thinking of making your own magazine, do check them out at parkcom.co.uk to see what they could do for you just one note before we start we had some problems with the microphones on the night i've edited around that and boosted the audio when necessary so it shouldn't stop you from being able to hear what the speakers are saying and they did a great job of soldiering on and coping with the failing technology so i hope you're going to enjoy this episode recorded live on tuesday the 22nd of may 2018 at the book club in shoreditch Uh, thank you very much (laughs) welcome to this stack live event uh dedicated to objects of desire uh we all know that these independent magazines that we love so much uh trade a lot on the lovely, lavish, thick papers, and the special print processes, and the gorgeous photography and illustration. So these are objects of desire. These are things that want to make you want them. Um, And we've got three magazines represented here tonight that have a very particular take on beauty and desire. Uh, So starting down the end, uh, we have Valerie and Maxine from Beauty Papers. Uh, which is a magazine, which is fifth issue now, and is all about a kind of playful experimentation and slightly uh, kind of edgy confrontational, sometimes like experimentation with representations of beauty. Uh, we have. Tang Yi Ping, the communications director of Staple magazine. Uh, Staple is just a second issue um, and this second issue um, is all about uh, ideas of desire and particularly sort of the the idea of like desiring things and stuff and and getting that stuff. Um, So I'm looking forward to head talk about that in a little bit. Uh, And then we have Cyborg Sullivan who is one of the editors of Ladybeard uh, Lady Beard, their third issue just came out, and the whole thing is dedicated to beauty, um, and I think to like beauty, but a lot to do with like identity and kind of whose idea of beauty um, are we talking about? So um, it's always really uncomfortable describing someone's magazine in front of them because <laughs> they obviously spend like months and years thinking about these things, and I I don't. So um, let's go down the line and get a better explanation of. First of all, what are these magazines and why do you make
1: them? Uh, I mean, Max will, will talk to um,
0: you, but... You probably need to hold the mic quite close. Oh, okay.
1: um, I think we really wanted to make a magazine. Um, we wanted to question, really, what was going on in the world in sort of mainstream cosmetics and uh, the beauty industry and, uh, and also the world of creativity seemed to be suffering in lots of magazines, so we really wanted to sort of explore both of those worlds and try and say something bigger about the culture of beauty and what was going on and all the changes, and and that's how we started. And I think Bold is probably quite a good word to, to describe our approach.
0: Because the two of you both work in the beauty industry, aside from this magazine. Yes, we do.
1: Um, Maxine's a makeup artist and I'm a creative director, so that's all for
0: Give, give us give us a, like an idea of like what is your normal working life. What's the stuff that you like would normally be doing if you're not making this neck?
1: Uh, well, we're both, I think, from the fashion industry, if you like. Um, uh, normally, I work with fashion brands or beauty brands or um, high-end jewellery, and um, and Maxine again works with uh, in the fashion genre with lots of uh, fashion brands, beauty brands, and I think over the years. <coughs> It's, like most things, it's all changed incredibly and um, sometimes not necessarily for the better so I think we certainly felt frustrated that uh, we couldn't be as creative as we once were and also there's so much sort of di- di- dictation to what 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 things should look like and what people should look like <laughs> that we felt that this is. <laughs> That's a problem. <laughs> so that's
0: this, this is something you hear a lot with independent magazines, like people working in the industry, doing a thing, and getting frustrated because they can't show the world the way that they see it. Mm.
1: Yeah, particularly with big, big cosmetic brands, I think really, um, it, it, it's sort of all one and good, but when you're just sort of looking at formulas and. Um, and sort of just applying that to everybody, and then trying to make everybody look like your formula. That's not good. It needs to be challenged. Um, it's not good long term for the brand or the people. So I think that's the thing. One has to pr- provoke and try and question these things. <coughs> and
2: question. Yes, mm-hmm. thing? okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Staple is a social cultural magazine for the curious, and I think like what Valerie see said. Um, why we create the magazines also to question the world. Um, basically, each with every issue, we take on a new theme, and with each theme, we go off from a perspective that our experiences as collective and as individuals are coloured by our social and cultural settings. And being from Singapore, um, I mean, there's a long story and there's a short story about why we started the magazine. I guess the short story is that in Singapore, we kind of identified that there was a gap in terms of the local indie magazine. Um, it's very small, first of all, and there were really good titles then, like there were Arts <coughs> magazine, and there were other magazines that were like focused on travel or fashion, um, but none really that questioned our time and our like the society, the issues that you know we are plagued by. I reckon, yeah. So we created this because we were asking a lot of questions. We were asking a lot of why's and why? Why do we do this? How do we do this? And yeah, so we eventually came up this *People*.
0: And so, how did Staple change from issue one to issue two? I think we've matured a lot.
2: <laughs> so, our team of four, we uh, we have no background in publishing at all, and we started. Um, the first issue was published when all of us were in um, our first year of university, and uh, I think from issue one we learned a lot, of like technical um, uh, experiences. We gained a lot of experience there, but also like the kind of content that. Um, be able to put out, you know, what kind of content spoke to us and what we want our readers to hear as well. Yeah, so definitely a very steep learning curve from issue one industry
0: And We should say, as an explainer, uh, three of you are now in the UK because of university? Yes, yeah, so
2: we're all studying how our undergraduate degree here. Yeah. But the magazine is ostensibly based in Singapore? It is, yeah, all, we are printed there, are um, registered there and everything, yeah. so the operation is based in Singapore. Okay, and Saif, same to you.
3: Um, oh. No. So uh, Lady Beard was started initially as an idea in 2013 but then eventually came to print in 2015 as a, our response to so-called women's media and particularly uh, glossy women's media, so the magazines we grew up on. And what we decided to do then was to take a theme that was either very overrepresented no, not overrepresented, misrepresented, like sex, and then explore that in its entirety from an actual feminist lens as opposed to a kind of a superficial, saleable feminist lens. Um, And then as we've grown, that same landscape of women's media that is kind of adopted and learned from a lot of feminist ideas has then challenged us to be increasingly... um, have to repeat myself, increasingly challenging in how we actually create um, something beautiful, something glossy, but something that is challenging and truly feminist, not something that will sell magnums or something like that. So um, we take, this is our third issue, we've just done beauty, which is in some ways the most obvious choice. And that's also why it took us so far long to do because we really, there's so many different things that talk about um, representation and beauty, especially in online media that is, excuse the pun, superficial. And so we wanted to really interrogate the relationship between media and feminism, not just women, but women and beauty. And it's really exciting to be on a panel with people who are maybe not feminism as the angle, but are using that same kind of interrogative approach to something that is sold to us, as so superficial, it's much more interesting than that.
0: Well, and I think that one of the things that unifies all three magazines is, so you, you you have all been interested in beauty and desire in different ways, but I feel like all of you, while you have like a very obvious love for beauty, I mean like, who doesn't? Right? Everyone loves beautiful things, but there's also an anxiety there, there uh, in these magazines. In terms of, so, like, so, for example, with the latest issue of beauty papers, you have the theme of vanity. So, maybe you could tell us a bit about why? Why did you want to approach it from that perspective?
1: I think well, we we work in. I mean, perhaps <laughs> the fashion industry is probably a, a kind of a, a great place for vanity. On a on a superficial level, I think people would perceive it as a very vain kind of area and and it's not necessarily so I think always um I think uh I think we found it fascinating because again at the shows there was um the demonstrations by the uh, uh the animal rights uh, people uh, about vanity and how terrible it was <laughs> and um, and and again I thought that was really interesting and worth exploring from sort of the fashion beauty point of view um and just, to, just I think in a way things happen so fast, and even though our magazines are sort of transitory, it's very nice just to dwell on a little bit. And part of the frustration is I want to do it in more depth, which is probably <laughs> where your magazine comes along and really kind of gets under the skin or something. But e- even
0: more, because you've got it's a big, thick magazine. Yes. say you've got a lot in there. Yeah.
1: yeah, I mean it's very visual though, uh, and although the words are really important, I think I think because that's our. That's what we desire, we, we're very visual, we feast on visuals, um, it is very visual. But yeah, it was, it was good to at least pause a little and consider this idea of vanity and what it meant to different people and uh, look at the world of it, uh, really, to start.
0: There, there's a, a really interesting piece in there as well, and it's talking about, um, <coughs> like, particularly like selfies and, and like, you know, digital vanity and I think it's Nick Knight mm. who's either quoted yes. in it or is writing in it, and, and says actually, it's, it's, it's two sides of the same coin. On, on the one hand, vanity, but on the other hand, that's, that's someone's expression. That's somebody showing their freedom to express themselves. There's
4: nothing wrong in vanity, though. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong in vanity, though. I think you can, you, you can intellectualise the debate, but actually vanity is a really positive response. It can get you out of bed in the morning, and actually there's nothing wrong with being vain. And it's a it's a freedom of expression as well. So I think also there's it's very easy to criticise vanity, but actually it's quite a creative thing that we can play with in our everyday selves. So I think that's important as well. But then it's also down to the individual, I suppose, isn't it, and how you express it. I don't. Otherwise, it becomes a judgement. Yeah. And I think there should be freedom in how we all look and how we perceive ourselves. And I don't. Yeah. I don't. Uh,
0: And so in making your magazine, then you are not judging. So you, you don't. There's no
4: judgment, no, and that's why the visuals are really important because it's a creative platform that people can express, and, and, and even the tone of the editorial as well. the moments of, but it's never critical because I don't I don't think we should be judging. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: think
4: I think it's more about uh, inspiring
1: people actually and pro- and provoking ideas, not necessarily le- lecturing in way. Uh, I think that happens in, that, in the, the mainstream subtitles sort of in a way. There's always there's always people giving you advice, <laughs> which, uh, you know. You don't need.
0: And so this is one of the things that you're trying to press back against, mm. the, like the, the mainstream is judging and, and telling you what you should be, and so you want to try and do something else.
1: I, I think so. Yeah. I think I think I think in generally speaking, I think that's the case. I think uh, there isn't. I I mean there isn't a lot of useful practicalness in our magazine at all. But I think if there's anything useful in there then it should be out. It should be <laughs> you know it should be more about yeah. thinking about things and, and the dream makers. The dream makers and uh, fantasy and also consciousness and getting people to think about things.
0: So Simon, I'm gonna come down to you because I think that Lady Beard is kind of the opposite of that. I think that you're no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that the, the, in Ladybead, there's not so much in there for a pure expression of beauty, it's more an investigation of, as I said before, who's beauty, like who who says that this is beautiful.
3: Yeah, I guess uh, that difference that you said, not about how people are being, is quite fundamental to the magazine. We try and have as many different perspectives, especially different from our own, as possible in the magazine. and. They can often be quite challenging to us, um, and they can come from all different places and all different voices. And we try and, um, we don't try and arrange them in a, in a way that co- co- modifies them, that's the word I'm going for. We don't try and soften the impact of what people are saying, but we try and have different ve- vehicles for people to express, in this case, beauty. But that comes in many different forms. It can Come in um, the forms of very physical beauty, and our ideas of what beauty is, and it can come in the way that beauty interacts with, as you said, identity. And one example that springs to mind that, um, is a piece um, about femme, about the LGBTQ identity femme, and the way that that identity has changed over the years from a lesbian and bi woman's um, sexual identifier to kind of encompass more, many more different meanings within the LGBTQ space. And the point wasn't to necessarily make a judgment on the way that fem is used now versus before, but to give four different femmes space to talk about that and how that relates to their idea of beauty. So we have um, what I really enjoyed about working on that piece was, um, I, Spoke to uh, one woman, Shardine, and she was very much focused on the history of the world and how we need to maintain that history and how what it meant in the 60s is what it means to her now and what that's how it relates to her sense of beauty is that it's about desire and what that means to her. verses. I spoke to um, someone called Travis Alabanza and they have a very, very different perspective on what Femme means to them and how it empowers them. And so that that's just kind of one example of beauty in the sense of being as opposed to how it's perceived. I'm not sure if that's...
0: The, so the, the piece with Travis, I'm only mentioned it. <clears throat> the piece with Travis is one of the ones that really stuck in my mind because it talks about um femme as uh, a decolonializing uh mm. power and, and this idea that actually for like thousands of years all around the world people have lived with like genders which are neither male nor female and that's mm. just part of the culture and then a couple of hundred years ago all the uptight european people mm. went like trouncing around the world <laughs> <enough>. <laughs> you have to be one or the other <laughs> and it, it made me think that so this is in a sense this is something that's like very cool and of the moment now but also it's this is something that's been going on for a very long time do, do you see yeah where, where do you see yourselves yourself well, well? what
3: i think is interesting is that it's so a lot of the stuff that we cover and a lot of the stuff that women's media covers now um seems to tackle a lot of trends and especially people who hate liberals see, see things, people as adopting trends because it's a new cool thing, but it's not that, it's that people are now finding words to articulate what they've always felt, and we also have a much wider way of communicating, even if it's a smaller scale, like a print magazine. So, um, uh, what I really loved about working on that piece is, like you said, talking to Travis, they, um, just the profiles of these four different people gave me four different perspectives on something that I myself identify as, but have never had the opportunity or the language to explore beyond it. Bar a couple of years ago, when I learned about it on the internet, you know. Um, and I think that that so there, that's fundamentally exciting. And the other thing is that yeah, this idea that there are there are trends in feminism or there are trends in the ways that we talk about each other. It's not that. It's that people are being given a language to articulate things that they hadn't been able to before, and so. A big part of what we do is give space for those people who now have that language
0: to talk about it. Uh, Maxine, there's a piece in the current issue with um, Ava and Adele. Mm -hmm. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about who they are and what they're doing. Because it strikes me that in that piece they also say years ago this was a very French thing and now we're starting to get this wider acceptance.
4: Ava and Adele are an art couple based in Berlin. And their art is very much based on their identity and being a married couple. Um, Eva was the male artist out of the couple, but actually went through a really important court case in Germany where he she wanted to be identified as a woman, but for through the courts in Germany because she didn't want to go through surgery. And so for many, many years Eva was identified. As a man, and it very much upset the couple, and they won the court case actually in Germany. So she's now um, recognised as a woman in Germany. But for many years they were very abused on the streets, and people didn't really understand what they were doing. So they don't really their idea of gender is not really a part of their art anymore. So they they talk about being gender free and gender fluid and not wanting to identify with their sexuality and actually just make art. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not really a part of what they do anymore. But for many years they obviously had to kind of justify what they were doing because obviously there were conversations that we weren't having in media.
0: Right, right. But, and so did, did you get the sense from them that actually now those conversations are happening a little bit more?
4: Yeah, which, you know, is important. But they've kind of been going through that for so long that now they've, they've stopped identifying like that.
0: Right, and what was it that made wants want to have them in the magazine, this, in this issue?
4: I love the freedom and the spirit of, of, of who they are. When we went to Germany, I just wasn't disappointed. You know, they're, they're absolutely glorious and fun. And I remember them on Eurotrust in the 90s with Jean-Paul Gaultier. And um, <clears throat> they used to make me smile. And then Valerie found an image of them and I'd actually forgotten about their art and I was just like they are absolutely brilliant and, and that's what I wanted on the cover And you know, we wanted that you look at them and they make you smile really anyway. yeah. and also I think the fact that they they've just
1: done what they wanted to do they've just trod their own path and it didn't fashion didn't come into it or laws or anything and um, and, and done it in a very kind of Great, peaceful way which is very
0: nice so i think we found that very interesting from um, many perspectives Ping, thinking about the so the, this way that uh, these magazines now are, are reflecting a, a moment a time that we're in i'm interested in the the fact that you chose to look at the commodification of objects and things mm-hmm. what, what was it that made you want to go down that path
2: i think in our editor's note written by our editor Kara, um, she stated that we, the the sort of objective of the issue was to reclaim a more bodily experience with the world. And when it comes to our discussion on objects, I think it's also a reaction against social media or like it's our response against social me- to social media and how because we live in such a social in an era of like using our phones and you know, looking at things on our phones a lot of times, before we step up to a store, or before we, like we decided we're gonna buy something, we need to have their verification online, <laughs> um, and that is also where desire starts to grow. I believe um, because you want to look a certain way. You know, social media marketing is a huge thing now, um, and it's imperative for any product. Um, yeah, so I think is that appeal that um, product that brands put out and that make you want to buy it, make you like have the desire to own it for whatever reasons. It could be like aesthetic, it could be you know sentimental. And what we are trying to do is what the issue is trying to rather is trying to investigate how our relationship with objects and how they populate the world because we feel like that's really important to question. And because it poses us in a certain time and space in you know around our surroundings and gives us a sense of self identity. Or identity as a collective rather. So in um, our second issue, we actually have a, an essay written by an anthropology student from SOAS, Muhammad Sahiru, and he wrote about baby gowns. And I'm sure you guys are, some of you might be familiar with the title, "Baby gowns. Essentially it's, wavy um, means, from urban dictionary, means looking fly, like looking really good, and gowns is just a shortened word for garment, and how he kind of like, Defines it is the fact that um, you know we want we are wearing sociality because we would like Gucci Gums are clothing items that you would normally get from like thrift stores um, have a certain like two thousand look to it yeah so I think that's a very you know that's like what is capturing a time in um, the society that we live in now in like the twenty first century and I think that's really important because I feel like you know especially fashion because you're always gonna be looking back. And this is a creation of, of the people, like my peers. Yeah.
0: And, and, and in doing this, you're yes. obviously, you are then creating an object itself to be sold. Mm-hmm, yes. So like, where, where does, I, I, I love the metaness of all of this. Mm-hmm. So uh, where does this land for you in terms of using beauty and desire <coughs> to create products that you want people to desire and then buy? I think
2: beauty has, been commodified and continues to be commodified. Um, I think in our investigation it wasn't really, you know, we gotta use beauty and desire. It was more of like let's use the object as a takeoff point and the and this like sort of like ambiguous relationship we have with objects. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah so I think but obviously with like objects define us in a way. So what we wear is how we want to present ourselves and that relates to beauty and I think what we're really trying to do is really to like capture a certain like essence or a certain
0: zeitgeist of the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to, to anybody else, so where, what are your feelings on creating a thing to be sold? So the are using beauty and, and these images to create that desire to make something to their of minds.
3: I mean, we live in a capitalist society. For us to be able to do it, I mean, we make no money personally off of doing this. And we try and keep our retail costs, our retail price even, as low as possible because we want it to be as accessible as possible. But part of the medium that we use is inherently desirable and is inherently inherently built to be an object that you you not only read and you not only like indulge in, but you also you kind of display. You want people to share in it. When so much media, when the majority of media is online, having something that is encased where it's not immediately accessible uh, means that you're you're losing a huge audience. That is an intentional choice that we're all making, and so we need to have something else that gives it. Not it's never going to be the upper hand. There's no like pretending that it's going to be the upper hand, but gives it that edge. And there's a difference. I mean, I think it's quite easy to to sum it up and say using beauty to make something desirable. But what actually? I mean, this is why we're here. But what actually is the beauty that we're using versus what Staple is using versus what beauty papers are using? They're all fundamentally different things you can't find anywhere else. They're pushing some boundary. And maybe that in itself is what is desirable. I think that's what's intriguing to the majority of people here. And I think beauty
2: doesn't always have to be obvious. It Mm. doesn't always have to be built vanity. And um, I think this is from an article in the magazine as well. Um, He's an Italian photographer and he published a photo book called The Flying Carpet. And in our interview with him, we asked him, do you find comfort in taking photos of? Objects. So, what? let oh, me just paint a better picture of this. He uh, he went around Amelia, Romania, and Sardinia, where he's native to, and basically just went around taking photos of objects that he sees on the streets. And he said, like, in his words, um, that he finds he does find a lot of comfort in taking photos of inanimate an object because, especially those that are on the sidelines, unnoticed, because um, the fact that the object can just sit there, you know, humbly. Um, and just relish in its own place and space, um, it's a kind of quiet beauty that you don't somehow get often. Especially, I think sometimes you know, living in London, such a pleasant city, um, a solid moment of like uh, quietness can be beauty itself. So it can be concealed. It doesn't have to be obvious.
0: Yeah. And so, so uh, you guys also have another level of, of this because you also have other people's products. In your magazine, so the so you're you're using your magazine not necessarily to sell somebody else's because you're not selling it, but you're giving a platform to it, I guess. Yes,
1: I was going to say it's a, it's a worry creating an object because uh, the world is full of too many objects, <laughs> <laughs> so um, it, it, it is a worry. But I think uh, it's something. I it's born out of wanting to um, create something and also maybe disrupt some things and in a way, it's a, it, it, without sounding cliché, it's a bit of a journey in a way and we're, we're not quite sure where it's going to end up and I think in exploring different relationships with brands and products and trying to sort of um, try different things, we, we're quite experimental with those relationships and sort of what we do. Um, it's uh, there's no kind of answer at the moment. I think I think it's uh, I think we we need to survive uh, and we want to sell our magazine and we want to try and you know sort of maybe make sort of get people thinking and uh, but also be very creative. So in a way, there's all these sort of human desires in, in us trying to create something that we uh, unashamedly <laughs> kind of go for with our magazine, but. Um, uh, the other sort of questions about products and uh, objects uh, that are not necessarily necessary in life we're uh, you know we're working through them i think
0: that's the easiest <laughs> thing to say <laughs> it, it's a uh, i don't think any of the magazines have like an advert. so i when i was looking to i don't think i saw like just an outright ad in any of them do do any of you have like promotional stuff with brands or like do you have like other ways of, make, of bringing money in well, we
1: wanted to try and create a slightly different business model because clearly it wasn't working in traditional publishing insofar as the advertisers had too much power and were strangling the creativity. So, in a small way, we wanted to try and disrupt that and, and try and get people thinking all round back, is there a different way to work together? Is there a different way where everyone can make some money and survive in a, in a more creative way? So. We deliberately didn't want advertising, and because every magazine that launches, you always get emails going, you can have a free page, you know, we'll do anything you want, just put it in the first issue, and that goes on and on until, you know, eventually someone gives you some money, and it's it's just a ridiculous start point. But also, I think we wanted to try and work with brands in a different way, so we, we try and do that, and we try and engage on a different level, and we try and create stories for them, but they're stories that we uh, have control over, um, and uh, they're sort of—it's a bit like we're having a party. Do you want to come? Uh, great, or oh, you don't? Fine. It's—it's a, it's a little bit like that. We try.
0: That's and and I mean, it sounds like an amazing idea. How like, how's it going so far? It's—it's <laughs> <Lord>, <laughs> <And>, uh, <laughs> it's,
1: it's, it's interesting because people are talking to you. And we're having more and more conversations, and I think, I think in a way, people realise that what has been going on isn't necessarily working, and it isn't necessarily what people want anymore. And and although it's, um, yeah, it's 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 an ongoing thing, but people are talking to us, and and they are interested in, in exploring different ways of doing things. And uh, and I also think in a way, you can do them around the magazine, you don't necessarily have to do them in them. Mm-hmm. And that, again, is a useful thing.
0: So the, so have you, so, and all those stories that I saw, are some of those currently paid for? No, no.
1: actually. No. Well, no. You mean in print?
0: Yeah. No. No. <laughs> but, that, but that's the idea eventually, yeah. that that's where you get to. Yeah. And and so how about you guys? So that you're, you don't have ads, as far as I can see, is that like, it's like ideological or just hasn't happened?
2: I have a confession, we do have ad- we actually do have ads in ah. this issue but they were not paid for and they were more of our collaborators who, uh, who worked with us very hard on issue one so for example like the uh, company that produced our tote bags um, we put in an ad for them as well yeah but we very fast realized in the second issue uh, while we're preparing the second issue that no one's going to pay for a print run, a small print run of an independent magazine. So we decided in the second issue that we were not going to do it, and that gave us a lot more freedom to work with. We are, we, are, we do understand the privilege that we have for like not being able to put it, for not putting ads into it. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a struggle, because then our only uh, revenue comes from cop- selling copies. Yeah. yeah.
3: We keep turning it off. Apologies. I wasn't trying to avoid the question. Um, no, we don't have any ads. That began as an ideological thing. Uh, we, oh. God, so much is happening. <laughs> Someone's outraged that we don't advertise. Um, uh, so yeah, we don't advertise and that began ideologically because we were just out of university and we were like, all oh, the magazines we grew up with, they had so many ads, we hate that. Um, which is still true. It's so hard to get to any good editorial content in mainstream magazines, and it's incredibly frustrating. But uh, our, our creative process doesn't allow for them. We found a way, our, the money that we make for the last issue funds the next issue. So it's entirely cyclical and doesn't give us anything. And it's draining. But this is, um, I mean, if any of you have the magazine or any of the previous issues, you know that you'll see like every, we don't have like a set layout, we don't have a set format. We get all of the content in and then we work out how it fits together to tell a story throughout as well as individually. And so, adverts wouldn't work with that. This is all very ideological. I realize. This is why it's not a sustainable business model and like a desperate out of hours job. So. Um, I wouldn't recommend it to someone who wants to start an independent magazine and, you know, maintain healthy relationships and good (laughs) speaking and stuff like that. But it does mean that the creative freedom that goes into each individual one is entirely ours and we can feel proud of every part of it. Um, All
0: right, so talking about creative freedom, your current issue has mm -hmm, two covers. mm -hmm. Tell us about the covers and... What sort of consequences you've seen from that? Uh, To the last bit, surprisingly few, actually. Um,
3: So, do you mind if I give you this? So, yeah, we have two covers, and they are, they're not, they're only thematic in the sense that they're by the same photographer, but what we wanted to do is we wanted to uh, have something that was really arresting, not necessarily beautiful at first, but really arresting, and then as you kind of get closer to it, you see it, like up there, or if you see it in a shop, or even online, you're like, I'm not sure what that is, and then you get intrigued by it, and then you're challenged, I guess, by what beauty means to you. So they're two completely separate ideas, though they are very uh, tonally similar, I guess. So we have the, um, this is the lips cover, uh, which is what I also call the safe for work cover. Um, And then we have the bum cover, uh, which my dad didn't buy at the launch. You'll be surprised to <laughs> know, um, and hasn't been sent to Granny. So, the reason why we wanted to do this was—it was very fraught, actually. We. So I said at the beginning that beauty is a very overdone topic in in feminist media. When we say something that is overrepresented, I think this is the most—it's the fuel behind the majority of mainstream women's media is this idea of beauty and striving towards an obtainable beauty. So we wanted to look at parts of what we analyse beauty in ourselves the most in the human body and be like, why why are these things that are all just part they're all just part of our bodies? Why are some things fundamentally seen as beautiful and appealing and some things aren't? So um, you talk about aging and you talk about um, like kind of in te- textural looks at skin and then you talk about like, just random parts of your body and orifices and what you're saying about like, why is one thing fundamentally ugly, when actually you're saying something much more interesting if you're looking at bomb and you're saying that that can be beautiful because you're saying something interesting about queer sex and you're saying something in- interesting about bodies and politics and we're not the reason why we did two is because it was quite um, challenging within the team uh, it was very fraught, making that decision, and we wanted to to have one where at least one, like you were happy with at least one. Um, because there are some people who are so passionate for one and not the other, and the other way around. And I just kind of sat in the middle like, <laughs> um, but I'm really, we actually haven't had repercussions. Obviously in shops, people put the lips one out first. We were expecting that. Um, but sales wise, we've sold pretty. It's been maybe 50, 50. And then at the launch, most people picked up the lips first and then they heard us talk about it and then they came back and went oh, I should never stop oh. <laughs> yeah, well, it. Right. Sorry if
0: that's upsetting to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm going to um, uh, ask the questions in just a minute so please be thinking of stuff you last ask the panel. Um, so you guys I think you had eight covers for the current issue. Yeah. <laughs> And, and you and you ran a, a real spectrum of the, there was some stuff there which was like very like kind of classically like elegant beauty and then there's some stuff that was much more like arresting kind of a, what was the thinking with that spread
1: um, well we, we, we like to have multiple covers um, because in a way it allows the team all of us to kind of have our own kind of the one that we really love and fight for, and and also I think it, it's really fun to show different facets of beauty around the topic, and I think that's kind of kind of important, I suppose, too. Um, so yeah, I mean, we just it just really is it it goes on on the imagery that we have, and um, I mean, I particularly like the one for the Vanity issue with the story with the mirror on the face because it's kind of no one in the right mind puts that on the cover, <laughs> a bit like your bottle. <laughs> I think is it's bomb. a bum. A bum. Is it? Is it bleached? Um, I believe sure.
3: so. I wasn't
0: there for the <laughs> day. It was. It's one of the editor's bums, isn't it? Shh. <laughs> so yeah, So it's gone. Yeah, so. no, it is. But it wasn't mine. <laughs> <laughs> and and so the. Do you see uh, like a difference in terms of like the the sell rates depending on the covers, or does everything just end up? Going. I mean it's really hard to get hold of beauty papers
1: it, yeah it is, I think distribution uh, yeah its a distribution, <laughs> a distribution problem that's another another topic that debate um, I think what's interesting is um, people like kind of smiley pictures <laughs> and if they're a bit sad they do you know they may be very arty but they they have less appeal so it's it's been quite interesting and I try not to I mean I you know I kind of revel in in the sort of uh, the results of you know do you do get to find out what sounds more, but it's yeah it's quite obvious really so, yeah all so very you know kind of provocative points do really well so it's 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 kind of as you expect really
0: so so provocative and happy is the, that's the bank diagram <laughs> yes, of, yeah yeah I'd say so uh, okay do we have any questions for the I have lots
5: more. <laughs> okay, I'd love to, love to know how, so you started Lady Verbs, like, straight after uni, or, like, how did you begin, or how did you, the, like, fund the first issues? How did
0: you, like, get it out there? Yeah. Okay, so, very new, new account here over there. So, um, how did you fund the first issue of Ladybird? Good?
3: Um, so, we kind of half-made the first issue, and then we had a fundraising event, uh, which brought together most of the funds for the first issue, and then um, I put in some savings as well. Uh, and most of us put in some savings, and then from that point, we're very lucky that I had the savings, like we, we're we not gonna pretend that we weren't privileged in that sense, um, but I've uh, never no, made them back. Um, <laughs> and uh, we, yeah, so from that point on, we just hope to sell as enough issues that we can then do ideally a bigger print run, if not, then at least the same print run, um, and pay our contributors as well, And you know, pay for shoots and stuff like that. It's expensive business doing this, especially when you elect to not do adverts. Mm-hmm. Fools. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Is it? How does that like tally with YouTube? So, the, are, are you are you
2: paying contributors? Is, um, it's pretty much the same actually, so how we founded our first issue was we have um, funding from the National Arts Council in Singapore, so we have a little bit of money and then all four of us, we had worked before going to uni, so for the entire year we basically just saved up and we put in our own money into it. So, so the first issue we managed was I would say like raise about 50% uh, the sales for the second one, and then we kind of did like a push for more. And also, we were funded again by National Council, so there was some additional as well. Yeah. So a lot of like blood went into us. Yeah. And um, and we um, we put in uh, savings uh, to to launch really. Um, savings from my business
1: and, and Max, you know, just saving money
0: basically. <laughs> that's what we did. I, I mean, and and because I know that. Uh, for a lot of magazines where like you know you're you're maybe not making any money from it yourselves, contributors are then okay because they say, Well that's fine, you know, this is a labour of love, this is something that I want to be involved with. Is is that an, an accurate representation for you guys? Yeah, 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 very
3: true. So we we kind of pay a nominal fee when people ask and then if it's unsustainable for them, we don't know them, then we we work with them to find something that will work. But also we work with friends who see the blood, sweat, and tears that go into it and are, are happy to be a part of it with us. So it's, there is no like flat rate that you get with mainstream magazines, but we, we make sure that everyone is happy and no one feels pleased, basically.
2: And we give free copies of the magazine. So if yeah. any contributors want a few copies, right? yes, this yeah. is you Take as many.
4: And I think with the contributors that we work with as well, because it's a platform of play and creativity, we work with artists that want to help make this content for the magazine, and so the payoff is that we obviously publish their work, so there isn't a fee when you shoot for beauty papers, because obviously we're self-funded, but the communication is is that they get to play and express their creativity, and we get to publish that, and so that's how the relationship is formed. And. sure. One. Okay. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um. Uh, I was interested in asking, what's the main
1: art learning from having your own magazine? Because so, like, many people want to
0: bring their own magazine. So what do you learn so far? Okay. So loads of people want to make their own magazines. What is the main <laughs> like thing time. you've learned? <laughs> <laughs> i have got it's tears on the stage. <laughs> what's the main sorry. thing you've learned from this? I've learned to drink a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. Great
1: it's really, it's really hard work, but I, I think, I think it's, it's incredibly exciting at the same time, and, um, and you end up doing things, working with people, getting people to do things that you never imagined you necessarily could. And so I think, yeah, it's really exciting, and I think if you have to, you know. If
4: you
2: have something, it's no point in being frustrated, is there? In anything, if you want to do something, you have to give it a go. So I think yeah, keep that going. Means I open you a bind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think the practical lesson uh, of um, is just to like, if you have a timeline, put a few miles more into that timeline. Yeah. <laughs> it's always going to be something that's going to mess up. Your print is going to get delayed, You know, proofreading takes whatever. So yeah, definitely uh, put those extra times <laughs>
3: um i would say uh do it with people you can be 100 percent transparent with if you're doing it with your friends you need to know that there are going to be boundaries that you would cross that you never will you're going to be so critical of each other's work and you i our team there are seven of us there are three co-editors me maddie and kitty and i don't think uh, the things that i say to them i would never say to anyone else even my fiance because like we have this level of intimacy in the way that we work now, that has been developed over the four years, that I will never have in any other working relationship. And But that is because we were very lucky in choosing each other. I think if it had been with someone else, it would work. So you, you have to really believe all together in the vision of what you're doing, and be OK with making each other cry, and not <laughs> Take criticism as a criticism of yourself because it's—it's it's like it's really hard when you're you're creating something out of nothing, you know. Yeah, and you, oh yeah, you need to actually really care about what you're doing. Otherwise, it's like, God, what's the point?
0: Okay, there you go. This.
4: And we spoke a bit about the Lady Bird cover, but more than the her one. Yeah. And I was just thinking, like the cub- the lips cover of Beauty and the beauty papers cover of this older lady with like no hair, they're like doing quite a similar, they seem to be doing quite a similar thing in a way which is like, here's the opposite of something that you generally consider beautiful, now look at this with the word beauty on it. Is that the basic play? Is it like, we are presenting to you the opposite of the thing that you generally think of as beautiful, that's kind of the import or is there like, are there other decisions going on there as well? No, oh, I think I. Th- I mean, that's Adele. That's part of that's part of Eva and Adele on that. And I, I genuinely think she is gorgeous. I think mm. she's beautiful. But and and more importantly, what they represent is beautiful. And I suppose it's how you perceive the word beauty. I think also the freedom in how they live their lives and in who they are is also beautiful. So uh, she's got an absolutely bonkers stare. But that is actually the stare that she does in all photos. <laughs> there are and so it might be provocative to some, but I mean mm-hmm. I look at that and it makes me smile, so in a way there's a lot of innocence with how they are and in who they are and what their art represents, so it's not it's not judging or observing what is beautiful in a very, it, sometimes it doesn't need to be intellectualised, it's such, such mm-hmm. a brilliant picture, they're such great artists and that, I think it's really important as well to kind of, we've become so serious about everything and mm-hmm. sometimes you know, a bit of joie de vivre, a bit of fun we need to remember to laugh and engage with imagery not always, <coughs> excuse me, criticise it or, you know, it can be so serious out there, so actually I love the idea that people pick up beauty papers and it makes them smile, it makes them laugh, you don't have to love everything in there, but I just think sometimes you don't need to intellectualise the debate, you just need to enjoy what you look at for very simple reasons and I think, I think Adele does that
3: I've kept looking over, and I just keep looking at Adele. The looking mind of me. <laughs> oh, um, so for for us, I think again, it's not that the. So maybe what the subject is is culturally not considered beautiful, but I actually think that this, that the image, it's a wraparound, is really beautiful and arresting and intriguing, and maybe if you think about beauty in the terms in the sense of. Aesthetic, in the sense of the way that your face is made up and symmetry and all that stuff, maybe that is what we're saying. But the intention actually was, we wanted something really arresting and alluring of something that maybe isn't considered conventionally beautiful, but the image itself is a different, a different definition maybe of beauty. There's some kind of intrigue to it, and yeah. I also, I love the way that the lips are just slightly open, slightly parted. I think that, oh, God, I've broken both. I think it's great.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The the microphones are dying on us fast. Do you,
5: like, know why, like, or have any thoughts on why mainstream media kind of, like, chooses to
3: stick to one kind of type of beauty or, like?
0: So why why does mainstream media stick to one representation of beauty?
3: I don't think it does. I think it it morphs over time. It changes, um, and it's something that is seen as fundamentally desirable. It's always it's always intimately tied up in desire in a way that I think what we're doing both is not isn't. Um, and it's just like when something is replicated enough times, you then g- get like kind of drawn into it and intrigued by it. So I think that's probably the, fundament, the fundamental aspect of it. And as a, as more, so let's, like as social media and Instagram becomes a marketing tool and many people's whole lives and aesthetics becomes their own marketplace, then similarities pop up more and more and more and more. and then brands see that and then sell that more, so it's kind of, it becomes cyclical. What is interesting though is I do think that there are many different facets of people and places and things that are breaking into that, using that, like using Instagram, but also using things like print media and using things like art installation to completely counteract what that single image is. And also, like, there isn't necessarily something wrong with that single image. I think what is wrong is us being told that that is... Culturally told that that is the one, one representation of desire that can exist, because that is fundamentally not true. Otherwise, no one will be fucking. Woof.
0: Sorry. (laughs) Like
3: I think, and I think, yeah, I think that was the end of my thought. I got distracted.
2: (laughs) So this is a question to all the um, panelists. Much love, two-parter. What was your print run on the second issue, and how are you spraying along? Any? Are you doing digital sales?
0: So you mean literally how many oh. copies did they sell for the second issue?
2: Oh, how many did they print? That's how many did they
0: print the second issue? Yes. Why specifically the second issue?
2: Because it's where you kind of already contemplated the first issue, you already have that experience, and then I think it's more interesting to see where the second issue goes. Okay. And the first one, you're just kind of shooting in the dark, to be honest.
0: Okay. All right. Who wants to say that?
2: Twice as many. Yes.
3: Excellent. <laughs> Thank
2: you. printed the same amount as issue one. Yeah, very small. I think it's like a thousand.
3: We printed five times as many, but that's because of Steve. Because he, <laughs> <laughs> he bought a lot of them. Not personally. at <laughs> 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 God, really. For, no, for Stack, subscription service. Um, so we actually only had 700 more for us to sell. And we've now gone up a third again for this run. Right. I've got loads, so please buy them. Online sales? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and then we have a
5: distributor. Okay, wonderful. Uh, I just have a question about, I think it was interesting to talk about vanity and then, like, turning, you're actually creating in yourself an object that is commodity, that is in the beauty industry, even if it's on the fringe, and and how do you fit, like, how do you ensure that you're you're not, I guess, adding, like, using diversity and not, like, commodifying marginalized bodies or using that, um, and how do, you, how do you ensure that you're kind of keeping a, an open perspective in the whole magazine um, to ensure that you're not adding to that same kind of cycle of beauty media, like And then I like, guess not commodifying marginalized bodies, because I think that can happen as well, that we can see.
0: Is that, is, is that, is that what, I, be- I
5: guess I know Lady Better and I think Beauty Paper is so exciting to everyone. Just, I guess, ensuring, like, that we kind are of adding to the same, yeah, exploiting the same ideals maybe, and like making sure that that because it is still a commodity in a way. So sure. you work with
3: people, you don't just feature them. I don't know if this one's working out. So it's definitely. Okay, you work with them, when you let people tell their stories. And you ask them what they want to say first, and then you work with people to ensure that they feel happy with the story that is being told about them and what they are saying in the magazine, I think if you're not, if you're, what you're saying is using bodies basically to, to make a point, if you, if those bodies have voices and then they tell their own stories, then it's going to be like vastly different from whatever the stereotype about that body is, because every individual has a different life experience. I think, I think that, that is a core to what we do, is we, we, to our best ability make sure other people are speaking through this platform as opposed to us telling what we think should be sad.
1: Yeah. I, I, I sort of agree with that because that, that's sort of with beauty papers we do a similar sort of thing in a sense if someone wants to write something you know then people talent, that people move around what they do and 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 you sort of work with them and I think, I think in a way because we are more closely related to the fashion beauty industry uh, it's... Um, it's something to be mindful of but i think in a way you again you don't want to hinder the creative process obviously you, you know you know you don't want to be uh, you don't want to be really bad but it's sort of uh so you're also mindful of that but um but yeah it's sort of it's sort of a rolling thing. playing really we, we try and work with people
4: yeah because the editorial has a social responsibility in a sense because if we're publishing that it's important that we're aware of that but also we use beauty as a vehicle and a tool and so the, the real identity behind the brand is a platform of play and creativity and so it is to be mindful but also not to stop the, stop the idea of where that could possibly go but I do, we do believe in the social responsibility of editorial.
0: I think we probably have time for just a couple more questions. Yes. So so it's so a question of frequency, how how frequently does the map come out and how do you make sure it stays current in relevant?
4: I mean we're biannual and then each issue is themed, so who knows where the journey will go. But it often ends up I mean we've done quite a few issues where you look back and you can really see the angst in the content and you know like coming out of Brexit and Trump and you can see the contributors, you can see the anger in the imagery and was a slightly different journey on that one but i think it's all relevant because you're making it at the time and so you're, you're documenting as artists you draw from the world around you so it will always be relevant some of it just dates better than
2: others <laughs> <laughs> um was published every, uh and just like you know because what we do is that we take on a new team every time and i think because we are social magazine. <laughs> Um, because of the South nature of our magazine, we will always kind of have an appeal in terms of like the interests that we're looking at it, because it's very pertinent to the current times. Yeah, but also we try and bring on board um, kind of like international. creatives. so, so. Um. <laughs> 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 Stop, stop doing this. <laughs> um, this <is> kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so fifty percent of our, more than fifty percent of our contributors are Singaporeans. So what we try to do is that we bring in like you know international uh, artists or like contributors as well um, to bring in like new uh, perceptions.
3: Um, we're roughly annually, but more likely longer than twelve months. Um, which is another good reason to not have advertisers. You don't have a deadline. You can add that month and that month and that month. Um, and then, well, I mean, things are always going to date, but again, because we're thematic, I think that's a the running theme in independent magazines: is being thematic. Because it, it, like, yes, you do things that are of the moment, of that time, but you can also you can approach things from so many different angles, and you can take things in such weird directions that, yes, maybe in ten years it's going to look dated, but everything we do is. So, but we also don't do like current politics. You know, like, because, I mean, what I wrote today about current politics wouldn't be relevant tomorrow.
2: Just out to of curiosity, um, do you know how many of your readers are male or female? Or is it mostly female readership? Or I look around 40. here and it's mostly female. Yeah. <laughs> or <you> just <laughs> just wondering point. how to reach... A very female room
0: here tonight. Yeah,
4: and that made me wonder about the right. readership. Are they also <laughs> predominantly female?
2: We've got 60 40. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, so it's 60-14, I'm assuming 60 in favour of women. in mm-hmm. yes. yeah. yeah. lady grade?
3: I mean, I'm not sure, but I would guess about 80-20. Um, definitely majority women, but not solely in any case. 75, no? Yeah, 70-30, actually, I'd say. <laughs> I've changed it. <laughs> I have no data. The statistics so. are moving so fast. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I can't write about politics. <laughs>
0: Uh, Right, I'm just giving up on microphones entirely. I'm just (laughs) going for speaking louder than normal. Um, We've got one here. You've had a go already. Is there uh, there anybody else who has a question before we finish up? Okay, our last question of the evening.
5: Um, I just wondered how, so for all of your, when you did your first issues, how did you then get that out there? Like, how did you
4: go around to shop? Like Like, how did you, yeah? Um... Well the first issue, issue zero, so I mean you, when you publish a magazine you get a distributor which, well, historically is useless. And then, um, <laughs> but I think the idea of the voice, I mean particularly because we work in fashion and beauty industry and, and also our commodity was our contributors and it was giving them this voice and working with them and being able to showcase their work. It was a lot of word of mouth in the industry and talking to artists that wanted to be part of it and felt the similar frustrations that Valerie and I had in, in Beauty Papers being born, so it was um, it's a bit more of that really and I suppose, you know, I mean I'm not a huge Instagram fan but there are benefits to social media and, and that was that was helpful
2: During the independence uh, magazine scene, everyone's really helpful, so by word of mouth is one of the best ways to get your magazine out there in social media, to an extent, um, but especially having events like this. So for Staple, we had a big launch for our first issue. So that's how we really drew a lot of our crowd in. And from there, they be like, "Oh, have you seen this? Have you seen that?" So that's how we you kind know, of like infiltrate Um, I, th- I think this one's still working. Uh, for us, uh, I think
3: it was two things. Um, our first issue was sex, and it came out. Uh in 2015 and that was and our cover was um, it was a big pink dildo and that hadn't again it hadn't been done before like you see sex toy imagery everywhere in women's media now they've kind of got over that fear Uh, but that Mm -hmm. wasn't there and that meant that we got quite a lot of press coverage to be honest and also talk to steve (laughs) and talk to jeremy at mad culture they'll help you out like 100%
0: All right. I like. We'll finish with a plug for Stack. I'm happy. (laughs) Um, I'm really sorry about the stupid microphones. Um, I hope that that didn't stop people um, hearing what's been set up here. Uh, Please do come along. We're going to have boxes of magazines um, out here in just a minute. Uh, Buy from them. They get all of your money, and that is good. Come and have a chat with the guys over here at Park. Um, Have a look at the magazines, apart from anything else. Uh, But please stick around and have a drink with us. And I hope we'll see you again at another Stack Event. Cheers. Okay, that's all for this week. I'd like to say thanks again to our panel for taking part and apologies again to them for all the hassle with the microphones. Of course, thanks also to Park Communications. Once again, if you're thinking of creating your own magazine, do drop them a line. They love working on small runs with independent publishers, so it's well worth looking them up at parkcom.co.uk. And of course, tell them that Stack sent you so that they know this whole sponsorship thing is working and finally thanks very much to you i know this one's a long episode so thanks for sticking with us all the way through to the end and we'll be back with one of our normal length episodes next week